Welcome to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Carruthers, and I have been a serial cannapreneur in the growing, processing, and retail space for over eight years. And we are here to learn together to get a well-balanced understanding of cannabis and cannabis products. Tune in every week for quality cannabis education for your canna inspiration. talking about tips on how to design and lay out your home grow. Yes, there's a lot of things you need to think about before you uh, start popping some seeds. You maybe want to think about where are these babies going to live and how are they going to live in there? Being able to control the environment inside your growing space is what differentiates from a great grow room uh, to an unsuccessful one and where you choose to put that grow room and all of the other elements of the grow room. And so that means all of those things are so important and people don't quite understand how much space they're going to need where you grow. And, and, you know, that location is the most important as they say, it's, you know, of utmost importance in cannabis cultivation. How does it even affect, I guess, towards the plants themselves? Again, if you're in an attic, that has fluctuating temperature levels, plants don't like that. You know, they like a certain temperature or they like a certain level of humidity. And if those things fluctuate, so it's so important to your actual location and what the surrounding environment is and how much you'll have to adapt to control the environment within your growing space. Now, is there is there one mistake uh, that you may have made um, if you grown at home before? I think the biggest mistake is going too big in a lot of cases. Mm. I think a lot of times people have a little bit of success in a, in a tent, maybe a three by three or a four by four size tent. It's actually much harder the bigger that you, you go. You know, the heat levels get so high that it's almost impossible to deal with. So I always recommend to start small and work your way up incrementally. What are some key factors um, that we need to consider. An ideal space would have drainage in the floor, would have water available right within the space. Whether you have windows or not also is a, is a major factor because uh, you can bring in air, you can uh, send out air through charcoal filtration. Uh, what's on the floor, whether it be you know rugs, carpets, and things, you definitely don't want to have anything that's going to absorb moisture or get moldy in a moist environment because a typical grow room is between 40 and 60 percent relative humidity ventilating the area is important i mean there's kind of two philosophies with growing some people like a completely enclosed space uh where they don't really bring air in and and, and pull air out so much but they use carbon dioxide uh infusion to replenish the air with co2 i i prefer bringing air in and pulling hot spent air out so it's nice to have uh, ventilation, that's ideal. So any air coming in should be filtered. Any air going out, of course, you know, should be filtered through uh, charcoal filtration. Other things like that people don't always factor in are the noises that can happen. So uh, when you have pumps and ballasts and things like that, they hum, right. uh, they shake, they create noise. So any way that you can suppress those noises is important as well. The important other thing is light tightness. I mean, you have to go inside the room uh, with the lights off, with your grow lights off, and make sure there's no leaks coming into your space because that will affect the plants and possibly make them hermaphrodite, uh, which is a nightmare in a grow. So those are really the important things about uh, the space that you choose.
That's a good point. That's um, and with that light tight thing, it's like you could do everything right. You got everything dialed. Your PPMs right. Your your pH is right, and everything seems to be healthy. And you're just like, man, how did these females end up popping seeds? And then you never notice that maybe like a camera or something had a light or or right, even just a, a a tiny LED on an extension cord or something. Uh, some of the plants can be very sensitive to that during their dark cycle. So it is important never to interrupt your 12 hours of, of darkness when you're flowering plants. Uh, and it's also important to have ample electricity. Definitely do some research on what type of, of wattage you have available to you. There's lots of electrical items that you're going to need, and they all need timers and things as well. So it is important to make sure you're well under your uh, electrical capacity. Now, speaking of that, um, in different spaces and, and considering the size of even the plant itself, um, any words of wisdom as far as to uh, maybe you could have went too small, maybe not considering how the plants will grow. Um, any 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 thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's a mistake people make quite often as well, is that they allow their plants to fill the space up and then they start flowering those plants thinking that they'll just form flowers. But the plants do tend to stretch another right. Uh, they can stretch a foot. Some some plants can stretch more than that after flowering is induced. So you have to factor that in. Most lights need to be a certain distance away from your plants in order to avoid burning the plants. Right. Um, so you really don't. You want to make sure you factor in plenty of space. It is important to factor all of that in. The plants continue to grow. They grow very quickly if they're if they're in the proper environment, and and that can catch people uh, by surprise sometimes. Yeah, usually like uh, it's like week three, you got this stretch, and you're like, oh shoot, <laughs> they were just like, you know, little little puppies, and all of a sudden, like a grown dog or something. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And sweet. there's ways to train them, and you know, possibly top them, and or uh, use different techniques as far as keeping them from growing up to, into the light. Okay. Uh, but you know, there's screen of green and things like that. There's all different ways to uh, keep them from doing that, but. It is important to do those things if if you're worried about the amount of space between the plants and the light. Okay. What about like um, like a, a trellis? Is that typically something that can help out too? Absolutely, yes. And and I highly recommend you know people to use some form of trellising or something like that if they're going to grow, particularly in places where you're limited to a number of of plants, uh, because you can get more out of those plants by having a longer vegetative time and training them wherever you might have that trellis set up. And the trellis gives you that distance. So okay. if you need your plants to be 18 inches from the light, you have a thousand watt light, you can set up that trellis at around 20 or so inches and you'll know that distance and be able to maintain it uh, and raise the light if needed or lower. And so the trellis really gives you a, uh, a level playing field, so to speak, of, of a level canopy. Is there any thought or insight as far as sativas versus indicas on how they stretch? I always recommend uh, for beginners to start with the indica dominant uh, varieties mm. because they don't stretch as much and because they have shorter flowering times. So uh, you only have, let's say, eight weeks of flowering time or, or nine weeks or so with a typical indica dominant plant. Uh, sativa dominant plants can be 10, 12, even more weeks. And they tend to be lighter feeders as well, so they're easier to overfeed. Mm. Um, they're just a little bit tougher to grow, and they stretch, as mentioned. Uh, so I would definitely recommend uh, shorter flowering 
indica dominant varieties for for beginners um yeah i guess uh, circling back to kind of um prepping your base you mentioned you kind of want to be conscious of what's on the floor or maybe some things on the wall um is there any kind of material that you kind of recommend uh, maybe put on the floor or or the or the walls for the floor it's important to be uh you know flood tight i would say so it's nice to have some type of uh, plastic or something on the floor and then going up the walls uh, so that, you know, especially if you're going hydroponically, I mean, you have to make it flood tight. But even if you're hand watering, uh, y there's times when you want to you want water to flow out the bottom of your uh, containers and you, you want to be able to get rid of it. And you don't certainly don't want to create uh, issues where that water is stagnant and sitting around. So it's nice to have uh, either a way to drain that water out or uh, have like a floodproof uh, flooring. But as far as the walls and ceiling, I, I just like flat white paint. Uh, okay. I, I found that when people use um, things like mylar, that bugs can hide behind there yeah. and you can have also uh, issues with mold and things. So I like to create as little places to hide for the bugs as possible if you've ever been through those type of infestations you know that uh, they can hibernate for long periods of time and they'll wait you out you know they'll hide and just wait and you could clean the whole room spick and span and come back and there they are again and it's, <laughs> it, it, it's because you, you know you have those hiding places so i just like flat white paint on the walls it's it's reflective enough and uh, you should light well so that you don't necessarily need to rely on something like mylar, which also can create hot spots. Okay. So yeah, that's my preference is just fl flat white paint. And say you're doing a, um, a tent and kind of thinking about drainage there. Any any tips on that? Maybe like pumps or anything to help with drainage if you have a tent? Well, I would definitely use saucers underneath your containers that you have your plants in. Uh, and it's nice to be able to drain those saucers uh, without a lot of hassle. You don't want your plants sitting in that water. So once you've watered, hand watered your plants uh, and the water has seeped into those saucers, uh, you need to lift the plants out of the saucer and empty the saucer. If you have a drain, that's great. Most tents are built floodproof without drainage. So you'll need to just uh, pour that water into an empty bucket or container and then uh, dump it out you know, somewhere else. But you definitely don't want to leave water laying around. You don't want to have dead leaves on the uh, floor of your grow room. Nothing that can be an invitation for pests. It's, and that means no stagnant water. Water plus light equals algae and mold. And so if you've got that water uh, in your space and there's light in your space, eventually it's going to cause problems. That's the combination of light and moisture that just creates mold and, and that's that could be death to your plants. So you want to avoid it. Uh, can we touch on a little bit more deeper as to why if you interrupt that plant's life cycle, things can kind of um, make them go a little crazy? What happens is that the plant is, is used to a certain light cycle. So during the vegetative stage, you're mimicking the spring and the summertime. So you've got 18 hours, maybe 20 hours of light uh, and you know six or four or so of darkness. And that makes your plant grow leaves and branches and, and, and grow the way that it does in the summertime as, as an annual. And then as the fall approaches, there's less and less light. And we control that in the grow room with a timer. So you take that light from 18 hours on to 12 hours on and 12 hours off. Mm -hmm. And the plant is triggered into forming flowers. And that's the buds that form at the end of those branches that are, you know, that's the cannabis, the female flowers that we smoke. 
So if you interrupt the dark cycle with light, it confuses the plant. And when a plant is confused and stressed, it reacts in a way that it's reacting in self-preservation. It's mm. trying to survive what may, might be a catastrophe by basically producing male flowers on a female plant mm. uh, with pollen. But the pollen, obviously, it's got no male genetics in it, but it's enough to create seeds. Now, these aren't the type of seeds that you buy for you know $120 a pack because they're half female, half hermaphrodite seeds. Plant is basically pollinating itself. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be yeah. vulgar, <laughs> but the plant is pollinating itself to create seeds because it's scared, you know, and then it's creating seeds so that it can survive another season and maybe a male will come around and pollinate it and, it, and it'll continue to live. That's just how plants are. But what we don't want, obviously, as growers is buds full of seeds, you know, and we don't want the plant to convert all of its energy into producing seeds instead of flowers. We want unpollinated female flowers. So in order to avoid that, you have to not stress your plants. One of the most stressful things is uh, light interruptions of the dark cycle. Okay. If you interrupt the darkness with light, now you've got a problem. If you need to go into your grow room in the dark uh, to check something out, or if you have an emergency or some type of an issue, uh, you can use a green light. Even that you want to do as a last resort. Okay. Um, I don't like to interrupt the dark cycle for any reason, really, unless it's an emergency. And in that way, you won't stress the plants out. And other things can stress it as well, overfeeding, uh, overwatering. And, and there's lots of ways to stress the plant out, but no better way than to interrupt the dark cycle with light. So go into your grow space with the lights off and make sure you, you, you see no light coming in. And that way you can ensure that you're not uh, going to have that problem. With that, is it like, um, you know, say you walked in and you opened your door one time and was like, oh, shoot, I forgot, and then close it. Um, is it that sensitive or is it more kind of um, over, I guess, repeating that that issue? You know, it, it really kind of depends on what the plants that you're growing. Okay. Because, you know, obviously some plants, particularly plants that are used to growing outside, you know, if, if they're meant for outside growth, there's moonlight and there's yeah. street lights and things that can interfere okay. and the plants less affected by it but plants that are used to growing indoors and are very uh light susceptible and that sort of thing if it's right in the middle of the cycle you know six hours into the dark cycle and you walk in and it's a big bright light and maybe yeah. it lasts for three or four minutes or something that's certainly going to freak the plant out okay. uh just a quick blast of a you know a flash bulb from a camera or something Hopefully that won't do it, but I don't really want to test it because the worst thing in the world is growing uh, beautiful cannabis flowers and then realizing they're just infested with useless seeds. Are you typically switching the bulbs as well? Should be, if you're growing in the same room or growing tent, um, looking at lights, how important is it to make sure that your, I guess your ballast or your hood is switchable for these lights? It's helpful, certainly, if you can switch from uh, metal halides during the vegetative cycle to high pressure sodium lighting for flowering. It's helpful because it's it's mimicking uh, the seasons. So you have more of a white blue light uh, during spring and summer or during the vegetative stage. And then you have more of a fall sort of reddish orange light in the fall. But it's not vital. I mean, I've flowered plants under halides, uh, fluorescence, LEDs, and high pressure sodium. And... Uh, at the end of the day, it is important uh, which lights you use, but there's so many other factors that are important that if you're just stuck with one light, you can get through all the cycles of growth with that one light. And if you're going to just have the one, I would 
say, you know, the ceramic metal halides that are have been coming out in the last, you know, four or five years or so are are ideal uh, as just a one light system if you, if that's all you can afford. So with uh, LEDs, um, you have HIDs, you have fluorescence. Um, any advantages or disadvantages as far as um, your electric bill with these? Fluorescence and LEDs are certainly going to use a lot less electricity than HID lights. I'm of the, an older generation that kind of grew up with the HID lights, yeah. so I'm so used to you know metal halides and high pressure sodium lighting for grow rooms, but I you know have certainly come around to LEDs, and they've got they've improved tremendously. As we mentioned with auto flowering, uh, over time, uh, LEDs have become more affordable and more efficient. So uh, there are some amazing LEDs out there now, and I've seen you know big grows converting to LEDs. And you know, the fluorescents are great for things like cloning. Mm. Uh, so the, every light sort of has its place in the grow room, and the new. I mentioned earlier the ceramic metal halide lighting is amazing as well because it is much more efficient than traditional HID lights. Uh, and you know, even some growers are being paid in some legal states like Washington to convert from uh, their HIDs to uh, ceramic metal halides because they they use less electricity. So they're getting subsidies from the electrical electrical companies for switching and it's not affecting their yields in a negative manner so wow. uh there's definitely a lot of advantages and the other thing is heat you know hid lights create way more heat than right. fluorescence or leds um and if you can't deal with that heat uh in a very you know judicious manner then i would recommend sticking with lights that produce less heat it's definitely an innovation and we've gone you know before leds and uh, cmhs we were basically just stuck with whatever was right. out there for you know the last 20 or 30 years uh, as far as high intensity discharge lights um, but it's great to see the new innovation you know ultimately this is a plant that wants to grow in sunshine so the yeah. the, the more you can replicate that the better and the cheaper you can do it the less of the cost per gram of production is going to be. So all those things have to factor into uh, choosing the right light. Thanks for listening to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. For more Cannabis Therapy blogs and resources, check our website, CannabisTherapyNetwork.org cannabistherapynetwork.org